You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Stop trying to humanize the animal. It's a dog. Let it be a dog. In Los Angeles this past year, they had for Christmas time a Santa Claus for your dog. 150 dogs wrapped around the mall to see doggy Santa. Two kids to see the normal Santa. 150 dogs. And you got the idiot owners sitting there in line. Yeah, Cooper. Yeah, you're gonna see Santa today. They put the dog on Santa's lap. And from the line, they're like, go ahead, Cooper. Go ahead. Tell Santa what you want. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And I'm joined by my co-host, Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the brand identity theorist. And we're in the spotlight segment of our show. And today we'll be talking to two different guests. First up, we're thrilled to welcome Dr. Peter McGraw, who's a behavioral economist and a global expert in the scientific study of humor. He's also the author of the new book, Stick to Business, and he's the author of The Humor Code. So welcome, Peter, and welcome, Americus. Yeah, so Uh, Peter, we just heard a clip of uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. But but here's what I always thought. This is the, 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 the layman hypothesis, Peter, that you're either funny or you're not, and there's nothing systematic about how you could teach someone to be more funny, but apparently shtick to business says that's completely wrong. Is this correct? It's half correct. Yeah, it's half correct. First, it's great to great to hear both of you, and um, you're so impressive with those um, those chairs and everything. And now you're on on Sirius XM. I'm, I I knew you when, and it's so nice to <laughs> to see you now. Um, you know, Sebastian was a sort of uh, knew you when kind of comedian. You know, he really has um, has taken over. In some ways, he's kind of the new Seinfeld. That is the observational comic, very well liked doesn't get into trouble, you know, family man now, and does a lot of like family humor and so mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I've obviously I've done a lot of research on, on humor, you know, you know, some of the work, but I think that um, you're half right. Um, Americus, that is, I think that people, there are certain people who are, they just naturally have it, you know, and they had it early and they have developed and it's been reinforced. They have good instincts. They're smart. They're witty. They have that observational um, approach to the world, and they point out what's wrong with the world, as Sebastian is doing mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the dog Santa Claus bit. Mm-hmm. But I do think that people can learn. I just think it's hard for them to learn. Ah, and I I don't want them trying their jokes out at work. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wrote that book. <laughs> I wrote that book to get them to think funny, not be funny. <laughs> gotcha. 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 I mean, I love this, but Bar- Barbara's smiling. I- I'm smiling. What's really interesting about this, Barbara, let me get your take on this. Are, are, Barbara, are you funny? in the? Do you try to be funny in the classroom? Do you at all try to bring systematically, Barbara, humor into the classroom? You know, it's interesting because I, I don't know if you're going to hear it or not, but you gave me this assignment last week after last week's show to come up with a funny joke, which like was whacking my brain, making me crazy the entire week. And that, well, 
don't have to go over that. But in terms of being funny, I think, and Peter, I don't know what you think about this because I don't know how this fits into everything I've read that you've done, but there's some things that you're, you're situationally funny. It's mm-hmm. kind of the way you react. It's not like what was scary to me about what America's assigned me to do was to come up with a joke and just be funny right off the bat with this joke. Whereas if you're in the middle of a conversation and you're reacting one way or another, it's much easier and the bar in some sense is much lower to say something that's mildly amusing. I don't know what you think about that, Peter. Interesting. I, I do agree. I actually have a saying. I do believe that everyone, well, first of all, there's two sides to a sense of humor. And so one thing I know about Barbara is she laughs easily. And so in that way, I say she does have a good sense of humor. She's hard to offend. You know, people are hard to offend are, are often really good audience members. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I do agree that, um, that the situation matters. What I say is you need the right topic, the right audience, and the right medium. Mm. So on a personal note, I, ha- I had a girlfriend who was very introverted, um, probably was on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But, and, and, if, and if anyone met her, you would say, oh, not very funny. But the text messages that she would send oh, interesting. were hilarious. You know what I mean? And they were, they were personal. Uh, they were perfect for me. And they were uh, in this little you know, box. And she was a great writer. And so my guess is that finding that right connection, those three circles together can make almost anyone funny. Interesting. Interesting. So there's heterogeneity, but your point is there are systematic things that one can do to unlock one's inherent potential uh, to be funny. Lean into your strengths. Yes, that's right. And and to, to Barbara's point, the improvisational stuff, I do think is where much of the comedy in everyday life comes from. It's mm-hmm. not from canned jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sebastian has an advantage. He worked through that bit mm-hmm. over the course of days and weeks and months at the comedy store on mm-hmm. Tuesday nights, mm-hmm. you know, doing seven minute sets with a very friendly audience mm-hmm. until he gets it to the point. And the audience can't see the video, but he's doing all these act outs and movements and gestures that end up heightening that joke for the person who's watching versus listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Peter, when I was talking about your theory, I don't know. I haven't read your new book, which I'm excited to read. But what I've heard about your old one was this notion of benign violation, where Mm -hmm. you either take something benign and you make it scary in some sense or make it funny. You know, you see the humor in something ordinary or you take something that's really scary and you make it benign. So Mm -hmm. that was that that's the stuff that I've heard. Maybe you want to explain it better than I'm doing. And I'm curious how this relates to your newest book. Sure. Yeah, certainly. Um, and your, your memory is good. So I, I, I call this the, <laughs> the Seinfeld technique or the Silverman technique, right? Mm. And so Jerry Seinfeld finds a way to create benign violations. That, that is the, the things that we laugh at, the things we delight in and are amused by are wrong yet okay. And mm. so he finds the world of things that seem okay, points out what's wrong. Sarah Silverman, on the hand, starts with the things that are wrong and finds Ah, a way to make it okay. Interesting. Now, the interesting thing about that is when you fail with each of those techniques, you get a different response. Oh. Right. And that is when you fail to make the benign, a benign violation, you create a boring joke. Mm -hmm. When you fail to take something that's a violation and make it a benign violation, you you offend people you offend people that's right Interesting. i was once in the bethany where i have a shore house in delaware i saw a comedian do exactly what you said with the mundane he went up there and basically told his day 
And everybody was like waiting for the last one. You know, <laughs> wow, that 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 must have been absolutely torturous. Thing I've ever yeah. seen. When you just take a normal old situation, and you don't find the funny in it, or no one else finds the funny in it. I didn't know people tended to do that. It's, it's mortifying. <laughs> it, it can be uh, it can be uncomfortable. Now, of course, um, you know we've seen people fail very badly at the reverse of that. Take something that you're not supposed to be talking about and do it. Right and do it really poorly and, and, can get sued. <laughs> and with this new book what i'm really trying to do is not actually get people to to be better at at telling jokes but rather to get better at thinking differently mm. that is to be more, how can you be more creative how mm-hmm. can you take ideas and turn them in, into innovation and even how can you go about managing your career in new ways interesting and ah. i make an argument that comedians Although, you know, we don't want to put them in the boardroom, mm-hmm. um, they manage to do this really well. They have one of the most difficult products to create, and they make it look easy. And maybe we could learn from them. Interesting. Wow, that's inspiring. What can we learn? Can that's, we awesome. Learn? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, Peter McGraw, behavioral economist and global expert in the scientific study of humor. What's your hot take, sir? on prop comedy. So I'm thinking about, for example, <laughs> Gallagher. I'm thinking about Carrot Top, you know, before the testosterone injections, uh, you know, a la, you know, Joe Piscopo. What, th- thoughts on like trying to like maybe use other things as part of the shtick, if you will? Sure, yeah. You know, so what I think is very interesting is, uh, you know, the pure comics look down on those guys. <laughs> you know, There's a hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, so they look down on those. But you know what? Those are some of the most successful comedians out there because what they're really first of all they're good at what they're doing they're good at making laughs um and maybe it's a little bit um hack and uh and sort of predictable but it works and really what do you get judged by you care about being judged by the the professionals or you get get judged by box office results Mm -hmm. and those folks they fill a room and that room is filled with laughter and so when you're a comic that's what you uh, that's what you really want. You're, you trade in laughs. And so, you know, my feeling about it is, you know, you can be a business person first and an artist second, and you get to pay the bills mm-hmm. as a, as a prop comic. Yeah. Interesting. What are your thoughts, Barbara? See, I, I could, I could see you totally go, walking into your class and smashing a giant watermelon on stage. With a giant <laughs> I could totally see that happening. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we do we, we do use props. Right? Come on, Barbara. You 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 cannot tell me you don't have scripted jokes in your in, in at least some of your some of your lectures. Tell me that's not the case. Well, I mean, like I said, the way it comes to me is kind of more improvisational. Like I look at the situation, mm-hmm. so I don't do. And I wonder, you know, as you're you're making it so obvious. Yeah, there people have said this before, but I and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I wonder how much of this is somewhat gender related. Um, because there does seem to be a different style in humor. That's uh, interesting. Well, yeah, and to be honest, that's part of the reason that I am hesitant to tell people to go forth. Um, and and that is that unfortunately, even when a woman in a professional environment is judged to be as funny, and so let's say in a presentation, there was an HBR. Um, uh, article that covered this um, these women are judged more negatively for this mm-hmm. so there are there are there is sexism that that is at play um, but uh, that is not the case when it comes to creative ideas no one cares where the creative ideas come from as long as they're creative interesting super interesting 
So Peter, why don't you um, talk? We know the new book is coming out. It's called Shtick. First of all, you're 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 borderline a, a comedian, also a behavioral <laughs> economist, also a fantastic researcher. The new book is called Shtick to Business. Talk talk us through the key insights, the key the big aha moments, the big takeaways. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I think with a with a quick example of this. Um, so in chapter one, I talk about comedy 101. You know, I, I, I'm trying to make a case that we can learn from the practices and perspectives of the world's funniest people in order to, um, to be more creative, to, to, to develop our careers better and so on. So chapter one is called reverse it. And this is comedy 101. So, so if, if a comedian doesn't already know to do it, they learn it on day one of comedy school. And that is to <laughs> produce a, an opposing perspective. Mm-hmm. So for example, Henny Youngman, He's the king of the one-liners, old school um, comic. He used to have, speaking of props, he had a violin that he would play. Mm-hmm. He has a joke that said, when I read about the dangers of drinking, I stopped. What do you think he stopped doing when he read about the dangers of drinking? Reading. He stopped reading. That's absolutely right. He doesn't want to give up drinking. <laughs> and so, so that's the reversal. And, and so the reversal. Interesting. I see. <laughs> can be used uh, to create a punchline in that mm-hmm. case, or a premise, for example. Um, you know, the movie Trading Places is a reversal. Dan Aykroyd and, and um, uh, Eddie Murphy switch roles, high mm-hmm. status, low status. Mm-hmm. Trainwreck is a reverse rom-com where, the, where Amy Schumer plays the traditionally male role and so on. So it's mm-hmm. a great way to com- com- create comedy. It's also a great way to escape the status quo, to go against what it is that that everybody else is doing. For example, two Brooklyn-based entrepreneurs get into the smartphone market. Mm -hmm. How do they outsmart Apple and Mm -hmm. Samsung? Mm -hmm. They don't. They go go reverse and they create the dumb phone, Mm -hmm. right? A phone Mm -hmm. for people who want to be less connected rather than more connected. Teaching teaching yourself to think in reverse Mm -hmm. can be a great way to have new insights and insights that the average everyday person or, or business professional is not likely to have. Interesting. I I think that's super interesting too, Barbara, because isn't it also the case like reversal in our, in our world of research, Barbara is what reviewers often ask us to do, right? Which is like, we present Mm. a finding and the reviewers will say, well, when is this not going to happen or produce something else that will show when it doesn't work? Or the opposite of that, which I think is exactly what Peter's talking about. What are your thoughts, Barbara? Well, yeah, what you're describing is kind of a boundary condition. You know, what are the stopping points of where it works or not? That was kind of what I was going to ask about this question. Did you come up with this hypothesis because you observed that that was funny? Or did you go in with a theory that, like, this would make sense to try the opposite? I mean, how, how did you come up with some of these principles you had? You know, a lot of it was just, I have spent a lot of time in dingy green rooms and then trying and failing at comedy myself. And (laughs) I I have friends who are comedians now. I've read books. I've taken classes. Mm -hmm. I've watched a ton of comedy, whether it be stand-up, sketch, or improv. Mm -hmm. And and what happens is, again, just like any difficult process, Mm -hmm. there are rules. You know, there are best practices. And I, so what I just started to do is just, what are the rules? What mm-hmm. are the best practices? And then mm-hmm. I started saying, well, what are those implications if I apply them to the world of, of business? Do you find that comedians know those rules or they just- Oh, that's interesting. No. Interesting question. Yeah, could, could, could a comedian re-articulate the theoretical structure and the systematic analysis that you've, you've articulated here? Usually what happens, and I actually have a special contributor to the book, this guy, Shane Moss. So I have these little- breakouts called shtick from Shane. And, and, you know, he knows all these things and what he's able to do is tell the story. So I'll give you another quick one. Um, there, one of the lessons is called create a chasm. 
And I talk about how what good comedians do is they make sure their audience is laughing and they don't care about the non-audience who might be outraged and upset. Mm-hmm. And I say that brands should be doing this. Brands oh. should be delighting their customers. Interesting. And recognizing that if they delight their customers, they're going to disappoint other customers. As I say, mm-hmm. in a world of people who want hot tea or iced tea, if you try to serve them warm tea and make everyone <laughs> happy, you make no one happy. Mm-hmm. So Shane says to me, I know I've had a successful set if one table walks out. <laughs> kind of like kind of like my evals, Peter. I, I got to get a couple of zeros. Absolutely. Otherwise I'm not doing my job. <laughs> Averages and, and for example, net promoter scores and other customer satisfaction surveys that give you an, a mean is a bad way to do it. You want to see a distribution. Mm-hmm. A bunch of fives and a bunch of ones is better than a whole bunch of threes. Interesting. Well, a net promoter score, they don't count the middle ones. That's exactly right. They throw all that out. Yeah, Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, Peter, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. And so where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your new book and maybe your next new book? (laughs) Um, You can go to PeterMcGraw.org. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on a bunch of the socials. And you can, of course, find Stick to Business on Amazon. Cool. Thanks so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to see you. It's great to see you too. Cheers. Cheers. This is Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and along with my co-host, Professor Americus Reed, the Whitney and Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist, we welcome our second part of our Spotlight segment focused on humor. And in this last half of our show or less whatever percentage of our show. We have a former MBA student of ours. Um, we're really excited to welcome back Scott Elkenben, who's the co-founder of standup2.org, which is a nonprofit organization launched to put laughter back into people's homes and recovering Florida men. Um, welcome, Scott. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, you guys, for having me. I appreciate it. A, a good Florida shout out. We are excited to have you here, Scott. We know you are a Wharton, uh, former Wharton alum, 2017, I think you were saying. That is uh, correct. Sir, we really appreciate your time. And uh, let's start with a little bit of the, the name of the the name of the initiative is called Stand Up 2. Standup2.org is the website currently. Talk a little bit, Scott, about the, the you're the brainchild. You're a co-founder. Talk about the genesis of this fantastic initiative. Yeah, so I think um, the, the whole idea was virtual comedy. And so uh, me and my co-founder were binging uh, Netflix stand-up comedy specials last March, feeling pretty helpless. Um, and then feeling pretty sad that a lot of these comics that we adored weren't on tour anymore. Uh, and so we thought it would be funny if we brought one of them to one of our work meetings um, and didn't tell anyone. Um, so we brought a comic to a work meeting um, and we didn't get fired for it. In fact, people loved it and wanted to bring comics to their meetings uh, via Zoom and whatnot. And so from there, they were like, so what's the name of this business? And we were like, well, business, <laughs> like, lockdown's going to last three weeks. This isn't really a business. Um, and so we just slapped a name on it. We were called Stand Up to Corona. Mm-hmm. Um, and that business obviously has gone far longer than three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're quite excited and quite hopeful we can turn the corner on the coronavirus. Um, but we've dropped, obviously, that part of our name. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty excited to just stand up to and stand up for mm-hmm. all sorts of entities uh, across across the spectrum of charities. Excellent. I, I love this, Scott, because I've always been a fan of a, a, a consumer, but also, you know, a, a wannabe 
comedian because I love what these men and women do. They spend so many hours in these dives, mastering their craft. So when the pandemic hit, Barbara and I were naturally concerned about just across the entertainment spectrum, what are these artists going to be doing? And so you saw a need where you and your co-founder stepped in based on, you know, Netflix, Netflix binging, but you stepped in to say, this is an opportunity to like help these bridge these, these artists to a better time. And that kind of was the start of it. Continue talking about how that traction happened. Yeah. That can I interrupt for one second? Let me, let me just, I'm, I'm not clear on the model. So the mo- can you just explain what the model is again? Yeah, sure. So it's actually quite simple. We, we make it super easy to have a small team event um, or a work happy hour via Zoom and have a stand-up comic attend it. Um, so we tip, what we typically do is send um, three comics, each of them doing a 10-minute set to a 30-minute or hour-long work happy hour. Um, and our average audience is actually quite small. Our audience is 15 to 40 folks. Um, so don't think of it as like a big corporate event. It's literally like you want to reward your team for busting their hump. Um, and you want to just have a, a Friday, Thursday afternoon, happy hour with a little bit of levity. And then you guys are going to hang out afterwards. So you, so you are basically hiring a committee to a meeting. Um, and then, I mean, a com- uh, <laughs> <laughs> Barbara, these are <laughs> the last thing people want, Barbara, more committees. Right, <laughs> so, right. And then comedian, yeah. <laughs> so you're hiring a comedian, and then the comedian does a set, set um, stand up routine, and then and they hang out as a friend. I mean, it's, it's no, not- no, no, they, they bounce out. So typically, oh, well, you know, what we have okay. is, um, you know, but you'll have kind of the 30 minutes after the show to talk about how funny that was. It breaks the ice from these awkward, if you guys have been on one of these awkward Zoom happy hours where everyone's <laughs> like, so why are we here? It feels so forced and unnatural. Right. Yes. Um, but if someone says, hey, like- here- this performance then, right? That's what you're saying? You're digitizing, you're digitizing the stand-up performance. Is that what's happening? That, that's very much it. I mean, we've basically made it much easier. Um, so I wouldn't say we're digitizing it. We stay away from saying we're the Uber of comedy. Thank you. Um, because Thank we, you for not doing that. Part- Early, and we're yes. excited about that. Yes, yes. Um, and but, so we've just made it easier. You know, typically these comics are on tour. All, all mm-hmm. of our comics are used to being on Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel mm-hmm. um, and Conan. And so this has never been wow. a problem they've ever needed to solve. Interesting. Um, and fortunately, I've got this this solid Wharton MBA network, and even some friends who didn't go to Wharton, yeah, um, who are all in these jobs suffering through Zoom misery. <laughs> Um, and so yes, this, yes. this felt quite natural, right? Like here's some, we, we knew a stand-up comic, they, it's this tight-knit family. Um, and we're quite proud that we've been able to really help a lot of them kind of get through what is fundamentally a, a complete loss of job. Interesting. Now, what I love about this, Scott, and I want you to continue talking to me about the detail of it, because Barbara, how many times have we been on uh, marketing department happy hours and we're doing the thing, it would be awesome if someone like professionally who's a comedian or comedian could come in and actually, you know, launch us with a 20 minutes of some real funniness. But, but Scott, do I actually, do I actually get to pick the, the comedic style for my meeting or do you, or do you curate that for me? So we ask for guidance. We, we've got a pretty solid roster that I'm tremendously proud of. Our diversity is um, at par almost with the national population, which mm. obviously far exceeds what comedy typically looks like. Mm-hmm. And so when folks will say, hey, we're having a, a women's, we're having a women's breakfast or we're having uh, an LG, you know, we're doing something for pride. Mm. We've been able to stack a comedy lineup with an all women card, right? Three or four or five female comics. 
um, you know, three LGBT, LGBT comics. And so we take, you know, right, it's a whole bunch of stay-at-home parents. We've got like some really great parental comics. And so our roster's deep enough that we can tailor the experience, but we allow the flexibility on our comic side to decline work. And there's obviously no penalty for that. Interesting. Interesting. So how does this differ from like, you know, even before, I mean, I can see how it differs in terms of Zoom, um, in terms of Zoom meetings, but how does it differ from in the past where you could hire a comedian to come to your business convention or something like that, you know, as a keynote or this or that? What, yeah. What's different about this model? So one is our price point. So price point's one. Um, we are really affordable. We've been told, we've been told we were too affordable several times and we've kind of... <laughs> <laughs> raise the price a bit to ensure that we were paying folks a little bit better and, and ensuring all of that. Mm -hmm. um, two is the convenience. So you can book right. a comic in under two minutes on our website. Yep. Wow. There's a back and forth negotiation. Yep. Um, so, you know, we've got a different set of skills than most folks do. And so we've got a tech background that's piloting this engine that allows you to book yep. and have your event. Instantly. That's nice. That's awesome. Uh, and again, because we are also the consumer, Mm -hmm. Like we know a lot of the pain points, right? It is, it is not lost on me. I get to talk to both of you about knowing your consumer. Um, <laughs> the deep marketing pieces we're good at, the, the high level marketing of telling folks, we're an all word of mouth business. We don't spend mm. a dollar on marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, it feels like it's taking away from money from Feeding America from our comics. Okay. But we've hit a thousand plus shows in a year. Wow. Um, starting from zero on word of mouth. So wow. there's two things that are different. One is the technology background. And the other is the charity piece of it, um, what you're giving, right? So those are two really different things. Is it also different, like the timing? It sounds like having a short piece might be something that's different also. Mm. Yeah, it's our also, I would say it's our market and the timing. Um, so we do a lot of shows at like four o'clock on a Thursday. Uh -huh. Not exactly peak comedy hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Oh, but see, let me jump in, Scott, because I think that's brilliant. Right. Because Barbara and I, we always talk and you saw this when you took the core strategy course at Warren. It's like, can I get the people if I'm selling cereal, can I get them to have cereal for dinner? Can I get them to have cereal for lunch? And I love this analysis because essentially that's what you're doing. It's like you're, you're reshifting demand into a different time space where consumers can consume it. Yeah. And, and the other piece of the model for the for the comic, they don't have to source any of this. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't have to go out and um, we're tending to find up and coming comics. Um, right. So we're quite excited. One of our comics left because she got too big mm. uh, and she got a Netflix special. Right. We caught her right at the peak wow. where we were able to sustain her and she'll have a Netflix special in, in about a year when they when they wrap production. Wow. And so we've got comics who have bona fide credentials and we're just throwing work their way. Sorry. I was going to say you're like the Shopify of comedians then, you know, kind of supporting these up and coming comedians in this new world with tech and platforms contacts and things like that yeah it's not bad for a business i plan on running for three weeks <laughs> <laughs> and to go back to that point how much of your business is really dependent and and succeeds because of the zoom world of the pandemic that hopefully someday we will be out of um i don't know i don't know that our customers will be out of it um so we know which of our customers are not likely to return to work um, of our mm. 15 biggest clients, 14 of them are not going back for another year at least. Mm. Um, wow. They tend to have distributed workforces that tend to hire MBAs. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can imagine if you're a large tech company who's decided that you're going to allow employees to work remote or a large consulting firm who typically doesn't have your, your folks all in the same place anyway. Mm -hmm. um, that's not bad. Again, the other thing like 
this is like a really low risk thing to do. Exactly. So it, it, it's fairly low cost. Um, it, you know, at a, at a per person basis, we're doing 20 person shows. You know, we're talking like a 15 to 20, $20 cost per head. Mm-hmm. Um, that really is not hard to justify for most organizations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we spend more than that BK on the, on the awful lunches that we bring in. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Eric Bradlow, if you're listening to that, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, Eric Bradlow is our, uh, chair of our department, but Scott, let me ask you that. But here's the thing though. I believe like, I love this though, because this is going to be, I don't think this is going away. I think this is genius because it really is a way to sort of these, these comedians that, that need a, a sort of way to automate and scale themselves in, in a way. Right. That's sort of a big deal where it's like I can try out new material. I can also make connections at a corporation or or an organization. I love that idea. But talk about how you stumbled, Scott, on the notion of we have the comedians on on this side of the market and then bringing in the charity piece. How did you how did that become an aha moment for you and your co-founder? Yeah, so, so we product test this thing all the time. Right. And originally we thought this was going to be a save the arts type platform. Um, and that didn't excite folks. Not everyone had the same connection to comics or, or to artists that me and my co-founder did. Um, but you've seen a surge on food banks um, and, and it's just been there, an inability to keep up with demand as folks lose their job or go through all sorts of struggles. And so if you are sitting in your nice cushy corporate job, dealing with a little bit of guilt about not being able to do enough, sending corporate dollars um, to a food bank while bringing a team a laugh is like a really amazing value prop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, to, like I said earlier, we struggle with marketing, mm. um, but what we've done as a marketing promo rather than discount, which we don't like to do because it just takes money from charity mm-hmm. um, is we double our, our donation uh, when folks use promo codes. Uh, um, oh, wow. That's cool. That's interesting. And, and so we have an, a, a level of sophistication of tracking who's spreading word of mouth because folks are saying, use this promo code and this company is going to send even more corporate dollars mm-hmm. um, to Feeding America, who's our primary charity benefactor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good idea. That's an interesting way to get a promotion in without any kind of price discount. Yeah, I like it, that a lot. It's why we have a promo code XM. Um, if anyone's listening and wants nice. to book, we will double any charity donations that you guys put in a promo code of XM. And the website is standup2.org, right, Scott? That, that's correct. And excellent promo code. Uh, what's the promo code again, Scott? XM. XM. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much. So tell us again where our listeners can go to follow you and, and find out what's next for your company. Sure. So you can find us at standupthenumber2.org um, or standupthenumber4.fun. Um, and if you use the promo code XM or Sirius, we will double our donation to Feeding America uh, and we'd be thrilled to do it. We'd love to hit 400,000 meals. Uh, in the next month. Wow. Cool. Wow. Awesome. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's all we have time for today. But <laughs> I do want to thank our audio engineer, Dion Simpkins and Chris Took, and our producer, Dana Cash. Uh, we're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. We replay our show several times throughout the week. And you can follow us on our new Twitter, which is at XXM Marketing. And you can follow Business Radio at SXM and business for information about all our programming. Thank you all for listening today. And till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn here with America's Free Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.